You know, Sir Jimmy, I think I'm going to start the show today with your, uh, <laughs> last year when you were still a listener, that whole comment you gave us. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Hey, Paul, it's Jimmy from com again. I'm calling you up about your jingles. Could you please get rid of them? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Some of them got to go. There's a few I really like. Like fiction, fiction, fiction. When I'm at the bookstore and I just see the fiction section, I'm singing that. Or if I just hear it on the radio or even in your own show when somebody just says fiction and they don't play the jingle, I feel like something's missing. But the jingles, like when you start off the show and it, you say the name of each one of the, the guys on the show and then you play a jingle that says the same exact thing, the, I, I think that's a little unnecessary and I'm just waiting for the show to start at that point. Uh I won't tell you what I think uh, when I go through the religion section of the bookstore and see a Bible, but uh, that's a pretty good one. Just take a close look at them. Uh, don't get all Curry and dvorak with them. <laughs> and I'll be listening. show is brought to you by audible go to audibletrial.com slash book guys and get a free audiobook just for trying them out for one month we are back again my name is paul alves just because sir jimmy we played that clip also known as paul the book guy <laughs> and i'm joining us sir jimmy how you doing sir jimmy <laughs> I may I may have had a change of heart at least uh at least I'm going to say that <laughs> after that I was just going through uh, some old quick notes on my iPad last night and was recording some new things and I saw that and I'm like what is that you know and that's that's it. neat can you just like record a, an audio clip and, and email it out that's kind of cool yeah it's a little just a, a a free program called Quick Voice yeah that's it Quick Voice Okay. That's all it does. We'll check it out. And also joining us, of course, today, first time we're playing his stinger, just because we can. Professor Allen! Yeah! <laughs> and if Sir Jimmy had had his way, we wouldn't have been able to hear that now, would we? That's right, because he didn't like no, those jingles. No, no. <laughs> I love that. Yeah! At the end. <laughs> now, Mr. Free Hollow Books, if that is indeed your name, <laughs> you have had a change of heart now? I got to say, I have, you know, I, I relish the jingles. Uh, just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> of course. But, that, we, but we, that'll be on the special when we do for the 200th episode before they were hosts. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> of course, looking for... we got one for Father Robert as well, but he, I believe he's in Vegas. And what he's doing in Vegas, I'll tell you right now, folks. No, I'm not going to tell you. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. Because <laughs> what happens in Vegas with the Padre stays in Vegas with the Padre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what, what's what's going on, boys? It's been a whole week. Kindles and nightstands. I know I'm still going through William Nodelsetter, his uh, uh, book Bitter Brew. That's my hardcover book of the week: The Rise and Fall of Heiser Bush and America's Kings of Beer. Uh, have you guys got into it yet? I'm enjoying it. I uh, I'm a teetotaler, so I'm taking it solely from the business a business perspective. But it's a fascinating fascinating story so far yeah well that that one showed up while i was out of town on my business trip and it was, was stuck in my wife's car the last few days so i only just got to look at it today and i'm still uh trying to tear through this willie nelson book uh 120 pages and i just can't get through it i was going to read it <laughs> on the trip up here today for thanksgiving up but driving through the mountains and my wife was having no part of driving so i just have to well you know i'm the same sir jimmy i think that's why a lot of us are tending towards audiobooks and, you know, 
Kindles and whatnot because you know, yeah, it's it's hard to find time to sit and read. But you know, I've been I listened to I think three audiobooks this week so far. I don't know how well this one would translate into an audiobook because there's a lot of uh, like every few pages there's some song lyrics that I can skip over. But right, <laughs> well they could put the song. Think about the song in the audiobook. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, if they actually play the song, but just reading lyrics uh, doesn't doesn't do a lot for me. Right. I sort of <laughs> quit doing that after the first few. Yeah, but I, I'm enjoying it. I especially love right in the beginning learning about how uh, you know Budweiser survived the whole prohibition thing by making a soft drink that uh, <laughs> Professor Allen happened to be made out of the same ingredients as beer. <laughs> Would you just have to put it in your closet for a week? Or what? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> you uh, have to know the rules so you can get around the rules. That's right. <laughs> but I've been listening to... Um, I listened to all of Ready Player One on uh, Professor Allen and Father Robert's uh, recommendation. Love it. As soon as I heard Will Whedon was narrating it, that's what clinched it for me. And uh, really liked it. <laughs> I love all the <laughs> 80s references. It's crazy. I think it's, I mean, it's tricky. It's hard to say it's a great book because the story is okay. That you sort of all the classical things that you rate a book by, it's right. okay. And, and, but you know, it's, it's, the, it's a string of references looking for a story. You know, as much other as anything than anything else, but it was enjoyable. Other than the, the VR helmets and the, the tactile gloves, I know they're not science fiction. They're fiction now, but. I mean, there are people who have these things, the haptic tactile gloves, but they're not in, you know, uh, in the public. I mean, you can't go out and buy, you know, a VR helmet and, and proper tactile gloves. It's not a thing that like, you know, 8 million people have installed in their home. And just for that reason, I'm playing this jingle. Fiction. 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 Now you're just sticking it to me. I'm just saying, because, you know, it could be science fiction, but it's not quite. It's It's so close to reality that it really is fiction. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, Professor Allen, we're talking a lot of 80s references. I'm pretty sure that this book started, the, the writing process for this book was, number one, get out a binder, write down every 80, 80s reference in existence. And every somehow, video game and every rock song I can think of. Right. Because what happens is, that, you know, the guy passes away, the guy who runs this World of Warcraft type universe, or more of a Second Life type universe, that apparently everyone plays. So a second life that doesn't suck. And, uh, and he passes away and leaves a game as his, uh, you know, uh, inheritance. You have to play this game. And anyone who can solve all the puzzles and get to where they need to be, the one guy, the one person, man or woman, who gets to that end point becomes his, gets his entire treasure. It becomes his heir. Becomes his heir and, and inherits his company which is, I think, around $200 billion or something. They stayed in the book. But uh, very interesting. And, and the whole game process involves 80s memorabilia and 80s properties and movies and Video TV games shows. and yeah. songs and TV shows. So everyone around the world who's trying to get this prize money or this inheritance is spending you know, most of their time uh, you know, in the 80s. And, we're, and this, the book starts off in 2044, or 2040s anyways. And uh, yeah, 2044. And the world is not great, so most people are, you know, heading to the virtual world because it's better than real life. You know, the, the main character lives in a, in a trailer park. But, you know, even worse than a trailer park, they've taken trailers and, like uh, Padre mentioned on the show before, and welded them together into, like, high-rises. <laughs> so, right. It's like the so ghetto of like, trailer parks. This reminds me of Willy Wonka trying to give away his chocolate factory. Right. Yeah, yeah, pretty similar, similar starting yeah. point. So in the year 2044, everyone is, you know, getting into the 80s memorabilia. And of course, for me, uh, being the age I am, you know, a little bit of fondness for some of these 80s properties. Uh, really nice ride through the story. Uh, has a great ending. You know, uh, one, did anything stick out to you guys, 80s-wise, or to you, Professor Allen? Uh, not, not in particular. It's been a little while since I've listened to it. So there's not, 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 not a specific thing. Except for, I love the, it wasn't an 80s thing, but 
didn't the company call out a drone strike pretty much on his uh, trailer? <laughs> right. Not even his trailer park, but on his trailer. <laughs> right. Now it's like, oh, that one. <laughs> See, the, the one that really got that me. One, I, hope, I hope that one's science fiction. That part. I, I watched this one on a bootleg VHS tapes in the 80s, and <laughs> this brought out a lot of memories. <laughs> Japanese Spider-Man. Because <laughs> how can Spider-Man get cooler? First of all, mispronounce his name and call him Spider-Man. And then give him a robot, giant robot to fight with him. <laughs> so Spider-Man is basically, he wears the Spider-Man outfit, but he's got this big, huge silver bracelet on one arm. That's, that's where all the webs come out of, an infinite amount of webs. And... Every the end of every show, like most Japanese shows in the eighties, he had a problem, and of course the problem he'd fight it, fight it, fight it. Whether it was a character or a monster, and then that monster would grow to some for some reason a hundred foot tall, and of course Spider Man always had to call out his uh, his giant robot Leopardon, which of course looked like a leopard. <laughs> to be fair, not every idea Stan Lee had was golden. <laughs> Well, they licensed the property to the Japanese, and the Japanese basically looked at it and said, yeah, no one's going to watch this in Japan unless there's a giant robot. They're like, all right, go ahead. It's fine. You have, you have free reign on the character. I think this is the last time Marvel ever you know, made a contract that said, you have free reign on the character. <laughs> oh, Leopardon. Look it up, folks. Hey, actually, Marvel.com hid this for the longest time. Marvel was ashamed of it. Uh, they hated the fact that they released this property, but um, you can go to Marvel.com now and look up Japanese Spider-Man. They've now given up to the zeitgeist, to the people on the internet, and they have placed every episode of that one season, the only season, of Spider-Man, and you can watch them online. It's really fun, especially if you have kids. Lots of fun. Watch Spider-Man with them. Spider-Man plus giant robots. Come on! <laughs> But there's a lot of stuff like that in the book. I mean, uh, you know, Rush lyrics and, and whatnot. Uh, lots of fun. I want to thank uh, Professor Allen and Father Robert. And I'm going to play a small clip right now, gentlemen, from Ready Player One. Just because... Who is the author? Uh, the author is Ernest Klein. Ernest Klein. Yeah, narrated by Will Wheaton, and he does a great job. I mean, there's even a reference to, like, uh, O Doctor and Will Wheaton in the book. <laughs> oh, Doctor. So uh, here, here we go. A quick clip, guys. Check it out. All of my favorite news and entertainment vid feeds. Among these was my own channel, Parzival TV, broadcasting obscure eclectic crap, 24-7, 365. Earlier that year, GSS had added a new feature to every Oasis user's account, the POV, Personal Oasis Vid Feed Channel. It allowed anyone who paid a monthly fee to run their own streaming television network. Anyone logged into the simulation could tune in and watch your POV channel from anywhere in the world. What you aired on your channel and who you allowed to view it were entirely up to you. Most users chose to run a voyeur channel, which was like being the star of your own 24-hour reality show. Hovering virtual cameras would follow your avatar around the Oasis as you went about your day-to-day -day activities. You could limit access to your channel so that only your friends could watch, or you could charge viewers by the hour to access your POV. A lot of second-tier celebrities and pornographers did this, selling their virtual lives at a per-minute premium. Some people used their POV to broadcast live video of their real-world selves, or their dog, or their kids. Some people programmed nothing but old cartoons. The possibilities were endless, and the variety of stuff available seemed to grow more twisted every day. Non-stop foot fetish videos broadcast out of Eastern Europe. Amateur porn featuring deviant soccer moms in Minnesota. You name it, 
every flavor of weirdness the human psyche could cook up was being filmed and broadcast online. The vast wasteland of television programming had finally reached its zenith, and the average person was no longer limited to 15 minutes of fame. Now everyone could be on TV, every second of every day, whether or not anyone was watching. Parzival TV wasn't a voyeur channel. In fact, I never showed my avatar's face on my vid feed. Instead, I programmed a selection of classic 80s TV shows, retro commercials, cartoons, music videos, and movies. Lots of movies. On the weekends, I showed old Japanese monster flicks, along with some vintage anime. Whatever struck my fancy. It didn't really matter what I programmed. My avatar was still one of the high five, so my vid feed drew millions of viewers every day, regardless of what I aired. Yeah, so in, in that uh, segment, always randomly chosen by Audible, that's where our hero Wade is now one of the top five in the lead for this game, and he's, he's describing how each player has their own television, basically station, that people can watch, and, you know, they can show what they're doing in the virtual world, or they could put on some old Japanese uh, anime. <laughs> I like you asked, uh, you know, if there's one particular thing that stood out, and I would say the part where uh, Will Wheaton gets to, uh, gets to read aloud a reference to how awful uh, Wesley Crusher was on Next Generation. Yeah. Okay, that part <laughs> made me laugh. Yes, it did. <laughs> you know, and uh, it might have been added in, who knows, <laughs> once the, you know, <laughs> Ernest found out that Will was, because I've only listened to the audiobook, but Lots of fun. Uh, if you're a child of the 80s or a fan of the 80s, uh, yeah, check out the book. If you're a fan of online games, check out the book. If you're a fan of both, you got to go get it right now at audibletrial.com slash bookguys. <laughs> or if you're a fan of German foot fetish porn. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I thought it was pretty impolite for you to uh, for you to play Father Robert's blog post when he's not here. That's right. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Ah, uh, Padre, we miss you, man. We always miss you. Uh, and, you know, I, that was the world's longest extended, what are you uh, reading this week? <laughs> so, so, Professor Allen, what are you reading this week? I'm reading the, uh, I'm, I'm reading the, uh, the, the Budweiser book. Uh, and also on, uh, on, audio, on audio, I'm about halfway through a thriller by uh, David Baldacci called Zero Day. Oh, great book. I, I, I liked it. Yeah, I like his. I'm a big fan of his. I still got some. You know what? You have to send me your, your mailing address again because I lost it. I found at least three audiobooks that I can send you. Will do. Will do. Nice. And Sir Jimmy, anything on your table this week? Oh, no. Like I said, uh, I'm halfway through the Willie Nelson book, and I just got the, the Anheuser-Busch story. And I'm actually... Um, probably about a third of the way through an audiobook uh by i had to pick up another daniel suarez one on the recommendation from the padre i'm listening to kill decision which is about uh about drones essentially and then uh eventually i i assume that somebody's going to take them over and well actually drones have been killing people you know all over the united states and they have been uh, putting it off like they were terrorist strikes, like right. they were like suicide bombs. And now there's this one woman who was doing some research on an ant colony that, uh, like these ants, they're like killer ants that can just, they can take down a buffalo and they all sort of work as one mind and they're wanting her, her work, uh, so that they can use it to have the drones run themselves. And wow. they try to kill her and, and the uh, strike team comes in, pulls her out, and that's about where it is right now. Don't you think we should save that book for the second half of the show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you know all, 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 all the books we've been talking about so far, you know, they really do sound like kooky things. But, I mean, Ready Player One, other than the, like the, the haptic gloves and the VR goggles that really aren't in the mainstream right now, it's all possible. <laughs> Uh, same with sort of uh, like demon demon i'm listening i'm still don't don't spoil it i'm still three quarters of the way through but uh demon same thing 
you would need one brilliant nut job to be able to set it up, but this is all real technology and, and showing how you really can abuse these uh, computer systems. Like, I mean, I'm just reading a story right now. Uh, what was it? In, in Greece. There's a man under arrest in Greece. One single man who had obtained all the private personal information for 9 million Greeks. There's only 11 million of them. So this guy is hacked into some sort of system. That I guess, you know, Greece has their own big brother. You know, computer systems with all your information in them. This guy had the information for nine elevenths of the entire population. <laughs> so anytime, folks, we store information like this on us, and we say, well, if they're not doing anything bad, then it's okay, right? If we're not doing anything bad, and they're not doing anything bad with our information, it's okay. And then some a-hole out of nowhere gets the information. Guess what? He's going to do something bad with it. <laughs> yeah. I'm about sick of that argument. Yeah. If you're not nope. doing anything wrong, what do you got to worry about? Hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe what I'm doing wrong right now, uh, it, it's not it's not wrong, but it could be. Maybe Obama just passed some kind of law today while we were having lunch, and what I was doing this morning is all of a sudden illegal. Yeah, one of the easiest ways to pass laws is uh, first. Yeah, we're getting a little bit EBS here, but the, one of the easiest way to <laughs> pass a law is to say, "Well, this is for to protect you against terrorists," or this is to stop child pornographers. No one's going to say no to that law in, you know, in, in the government. They're going to say, oh, it's a great idea. But today's terrorist is not tomorrow's terrorist. So the government in 20 years could say, well, a terrorist is anyone who lies online at all. If you make any kind of fib, if you give yourself a false name or you, know, you, you, you use the wrong ID to get online, use your friend's password to use his internet, now you're a terrorist. Hey, guess what? Now you can go to jail for life. Yep, that's why they're building so many jails. I, pa- I passed six jails today on my drive, by the way. Made nice. Big they're almost like Starbucks now in the States, anyways. Actually, one of them had a jail inside of a jail. <laughs> but at least they're not like Starbucks, where there's a jail across the street from another jail. <laughs> I think in Seattle, there's actually a Starbucks inside of Starbucks, and I- I'm not joking about that. I think there is. <laughs> there's a Starbucks like in the a- bathroom. Yeah, it's like a tourist attraction. Uh. (laughs) Hey, guys, you know what? Uh, This week, we're going to answer a question for all the folks at home. Why do old books smell? Why do they smell? What is that smell? What is it? Well, that Anheuser-Busch book, I opened it up today, and my wife was looking at it. First thing she did, opened it up, and she starts smelling it. Oh, yeah, she did. She's a book sniffer. A book sniffer, yes. I'm a book sniffer, too. I like a new book. It's a fresh smell. But it was that musty old smell, you know, when you open up a book. and, and it's, it's like the paper's degrading and giving off a chemical smell or something. Yeah, ah, that's right. When you're, when you're cutting up these books like I do, it's overpowering, some of them. Well, I can imagine, yeah, because you're tearing right into it with the blades, yes. Yeah. So let's check this out. <laughs> Why do old books smell? We're going to learn it right now here on the Book Guys Show. I love the smell of used books in the morning. Hi, my name is Richard from Ape Books. If you walk into a used bookshop, you will encounter the unique aroma of aging books. Some people love that smell, some people don't. But where does it come from? A physical book is made up of organic matter that reacts with heat, light, moisture, and most importantly of all, the chemicals used in its production. And it's this reaction that causes the unique used books smell. Believe it or not, chemists at the University College London have investigated the old book odour and concluded that many books release hundreds of volatile organic compounds into the air from the paper. The lead scientist described the smell as a combination of grassy notes with a tang of acids and a hint of vanilla over an underlying mustiness. Vanilla? Chemicals are found in the wood pulp that makes paper and also in the ink for illustrations and text. From a chemist's point of view, the biggest reason for a book's decay is acidity, and paper with too much acidity is common in books printed in the 19th and 20th centuries, hence their rapid deterioration and the smell. Books produced by the earliest printers have survived for 500 years because of the purity of their paper. Telltale signs of the deterioration are browning... Why can can no one uh, pronounce deterioration? I'm just saying. 
all over media. Sorry. We'll, we'll continue. Seen here. And foxing, seen here, which are localized brown spots. Books can also react with external materials. A newspaper clipping stored inside a book can cause a reaction because of its ink and its cheap acidic paper. Books can absorb smells from their environment. The most common one is tobacco smoke. The best way to store your books is in a cool, dry environment away from direct sunlight. So there you go. That's why they smell. I'm going to give people another you know, tip. Thinking, Sorry, go ahead, sir. That, uh, you know, all the, pe- all the people's fingers that have went through the books over the years, what, what's on their hands, what were they eating? Yeah. You that's, know, did they have- that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, the oils from your finger, of course. Now, the store, the store books, uh, one of the things you want to do is uh, have a non-humid location. So even here at the studio slash shop, we have a dehumidifier in the shop, and I keep it right by the book uh, shelf. That'll extend their life. Uh, the other thing is the, the, you know, the, the science behind the building of a bound book, a hardcover book, has changed subtly over hundreds of years to the point of perfection. I mean, we are there. These books are made quickly now on you know, machines, but they are designed to stand up. So uh, one of the things people really screw up all the time is, you know, I got a bunch of books that don't fit on my shelves anymore. I'm going to stick them in a box. First of all, don't put them in a box. <laughs> That's going to increase <laughs> yeah. moisture. And the first thing you do when you put books in a box, most people put them in flat. You know, lying down. Bad. That's The book is not designed. The whole uh, technology, the design behind a hardcover book is for it to stand tall on a shelf. So even if you're putting them in a box, cut some holes in the box so the moisture can escape and keep the books standing up as if they were on your shelf. Always standing up. They will last, I mean, a lot longer. They'll look a lot better. And these things will be around for a thousand years, hopefully. Yeah, the, key to, uh, the key to preserving comic books is, uh, you know, bagged, bagged and bored. Bagged and boarded it with acid-free. Yeah, don't be cheap. Bag, Get the acid-free. Acid yeah. Board. Yeah. I mean, if, if 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 it's worth something that you really want to preserve the value of. Now, a, a comic book um, laying down is fine. Uh, standing up is preferred because of the, the way they're bound. They won't they won't lay straight. Ah, I see. You okay. Because they're, they're you know they're going to be thicker at the. I stand corrected. At the end. <laughs> I bow down before is, Professor Allen. A as book far as is comic made books. from a tree. Yes. It is an assemblage of flat, flexible parts, still called leaves, imprinted with dark pigmented squiggles. One glance at it, and you'll hear the voice of another person, perhaps someone dead for thousands of years. Across the millennia, the author is speaking clearly and silently inside your head, directly to you. Writing is perhaps the greatest of human inventions, binding together people, citizens of different epochs who never knew one another. Books break the shackles of time, proof that humans can work magic. Carl Sagan. Beautiful. Very nice. I like, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't have the exact quote, but uh, C.S. Lewis was, uh, wrote once in, in, in praise of old books. And he said that the great thing about old books is that you get to sort of like uh, similar to that quote, you get to hear concepts and ideas from a different generation when things were when things were different from a different age with different uh, different perspectives and different uh, points of view and, and, and so on. And he actually said, well, you know, you could read you could read books from for you no know, from you know, from any time frame. You know, if you could you know, read a book from the future, it would be fine, but they are a little harder to get. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, and, and again, I keep harping on this one book, but Stephen King's on writing, he does say that it's the closest we can ever come to telepathy. It's, you know, you step into the, the jet fighter pilot's mind. It's the closest you can come to reading his mind and finding out what it was like to be inside, a, you know, you know, an F-16. Yeah, it's like time travel and teleportation all in one. Absolutely. Time travel, teleportation, and telepathy all in one. The book. It's magic. It really is. <laughs> and, and, you know, there is an effort you know, these days to take every book and try to put it on film. And uh, for some books that works, and for some books 
the book is the best way of conveying the message sometimes. Absolutely. And a movie or any sort of adaptation, visual adaptation, is going to be less effective than the book. Yeah, there's losses inherent in that process. Right. Yeah. In the, in, the, in the transition from any medium to any other medium. And just because you said that, uh, Professor. Books on film and television. The Life of Pi is looking to be a brilliant movie. I have still to watch it. I got to find some time to go watch it in 3D uh, without spoiling. Uh, the director, Ang Lee, he is known for filming the unfilmable. Unfil- and this is one of those books where I thought, well, this is unfilmable. There's no way you can do this. Even just doing a half ass job, it's still a guy, a big boat, a small boat in the middle of the ocean, and a tiger. You know, I mean, once everything's said and done, that's what it is. And unbelievably, apparently, I am being told that Ang Lee has done it. Uh, the prologue and epilogue are not in 3D because they don't need to be. Uh, that's where Mr. Patel is telling his story to another person. And uh, the end is, of course, uh, there's quite a twist in the book without spoiling. But the fantastical part of the book, the almost unbelievable part, is uh, filmed in 3D on the ocean. Uh, brilliant. <laughs> Can't wait to see it. Uh, really loved the book. I read it in, in uh, digital format and actual text. Uh, I can't wait to see it. Life of Pi. Yeah, I've, I've yep. got to confess, I'm not in love with the way the tiger looks in the TV. You know, commercials. Maybe 3D will, right. will bring, it to, bring it to life better. But it looks so... Well, you got to think about it. Professor Allen, you got two hours of a guy on a boat with a tiger... On the ocean, so you know most of three D works. You know the the ocean going up and down, the boat going up and down, the tiger lunging at you. I think that would work really I, well. <laughs> I I just hope they make the tiger look better in the on the film than it does on TV so far. Have either of you uh, seen uh, read the book or listened to the book? No, I'm going to go see the movie. As a matter of fact, they just put an IMAX theater in in my town, and uh, it's only been open about two weeks. And um, my wife and boy went and saw Skyfall, and they really they said it was it was amazing. So I think this is the movie Taylor made to go see IMAX 3D. May, may I recommend before you go, take a listen or or read. It's brilliant. Okay. It is not for children. Uh, it may seem like oh this is really cool. I'll bring my kid. I'm guessing it might be restricted. If it's not restricted, still I would say don't bring your children, because despite what it sounds like this goofy supposed you know it's not really a, a true story but uh they make it seem like it is it's not because uh we're talking the epilogue really twist ending not for kids but check the book out first this is one of those check the book out first please <laughs> yeah i i have not read it but my daughter read it in as part as a college part of her college class last year and uh, enjoyed it a lot I would uh, categorize this, because we're a clean show, we try to be as a mind F of a book. (laughs) (laughs) Life of Pi. Check it out, really. Are we going to do some book news, gentlemen? Well, on that same, on that same, uh, in the same topic, though, with a quite a, quite a departure. Okay. uh, (laughs) In in terms of TV. Yeah. The, uh, the, the Green Arrow show, Arrow. Oh, on the uh, here brilliant. here in the U.S. on CW has done surprisingly well in the ratings, continuing to hold to hold its to hold its audience, which is uncommon in in uh, in TV. You tend to lose a little bit, you know, every week. I've watched the first uh, couple episodes, uh, Professor Allen. Does he eventually wear the green? Yes, it it, it started off pretty black, didn't it? Yeah, it you know, it was that whole cheesy uh, uh, X Men leather costumes, which uh, they have said. Yeah. The next X-Man movie will not have the cheesy black leather, the, the default black leather. Like everyone in G.I. Joe was wearing black leather, where the whole cool thing about G.I. Joe was that they all looked different. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's not a great show. It's, it, it's a good show. I mean, it's definitely a CW show. You know, everyone is younger and prettier than It's on par be, with uh, Smallville. In real life, but, but it's good. Yeah. No, I like it. It's on par with Smallville. I mean, it's uh, yeah. low, low budget, but uh, well done. Enjoying it, Errol. Absolutely. Book news. 
while we're on television, I just recently discovered Hell on Wheels. Uh, it's about just after the Civil War in the United States, and it's about the what were they called? Was it uh, the, the guys on the eastern side building the railroad, heading west? And Hell on Wheels is the the nickname for the guy's office, which is always at the forefront of the building of the railroad. Uh, hardcore <laughs> again, not for kids, but uh, well done, Western. Love it. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. I was watching the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly this morning. I was tore away from it, but uh, yeah, I, I, I like me some western, so I might check it out. You know, I'm not super religious. Sorry, Padre. But uh, one book that I'm interested in reading, and it's going to be on my list. Uh, I'm doing the Bitter Brew. My next book is going to be the Demonologist by Andrew Piper, another New York Times bestselling author. That's a book that uh, Mr. Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis in Universal Studios is working to a movie soon. Ah. But after that, I really want to check this out. I know know there's a lot of books out there where people claim that, you know, they've seen the afterlife and, you know, it it goes into, well, it's pretty much almost fiction, fiction, fiction. But this is a book by an actual brain scientist. (laughs) Okay. Who went through the, uh, this kind of uh, experience where he actually passed away, you know, and came back to life. And through his own knowledge of being a brain surgeon type person, <laughs> I don't know exactly what Eben Alexander does. Again, you, you know, you got, Professor Allen, you know, I don't read the book covers. I just get into the book. <sighs> but, but Eben Alexander went through a process like that. And he knew that at the time, you know, MRIs and whatever showed that he had no brain function at all, and yet he remembers this dream he had clearly during that time where technology was actually showing that there's no way you could have had any brain function to have a dream, and it's called Proof of Heaven by Evan Alexander. I'm going to play a little clip right now, and I'm just saying, folks, it's not a recommendation. I haven't read it yet, but this is going to be one of my next reads. Well, it was November 10th, 2008, a Monday morning, and I... Woke up about 4.30, which was an hour earlier than I normally would. Got out of bed and felt an intense pain in my lower back. And, of course, I was also at that time starting to slip into unconsciousness because if I had been more alert as a physician with severe back pain, severe headache, I would have immediately thought of meningitis. But uh, I was too far gone to be thinking anything. My first awareness deep inside of coma was one in which I had no words, I had no language. I did not remember anything of my life on Earth. I knew nothing of humans, nothing of Earth or this universe. The meningitis had completely wiped out any notions of of my human identity or existence. And then it was as if there was a, a summer breeze, a perfect summer wind blowing through. And even though the whole scene remained the same, my awareness of it changed completely. And I was out in this this void of infinite, infinite coal black, but with an orb of light and with that warm, divine presence. But the message was, you are not here to stay. We will teach you many things, but you'll be going back. You'd think that I would know already just about everything there was to know about consciousness, being an active neurosurgeon. And I lived totally by science and what science had to say about reality. I thought at best maybe uh, I had an Einsteinian view that uh, there might be some powerful creative God, but not one who had enough time to worry about about me. And of course my near-death experience uh, changed that entirely. So much of what I saw on my journey showed me how primitive our science is and our human understanding and that in fact it will never be able to weigh in one way or the other on the existence of that divine creative being and yet by fully understanding the meaning of unconditional love and the intensity and the personal nature of that deity is that divine spark within each and every one of us. 
Love the music. So, <laughs> I just found, happened to find this one on through the Twitter feed, Paul the Book Guy on Twitter, Sir Jimmy. Sorry, it's yeah. uh, Free Hello Books on Twitter. I'm Professor Allen on Twitter. But uh, through my Twitter feed, I found this. Someone posted it. And you know what? It's interesting. Because he's not a brain scientist, neurosurgeon, <laughs> and he claims to you know, know that everything he experienced was not possible according to modern-day know-how as far as how the brain works. Uh, that's what made it fascinating to him because if he didn't have the scans and the information while he was in that coma, he probably would have said, well, I had a dream while I was out. But getting the information afterwards from the coma he had been in, he realized that according to today's science, there's no way he could have dreamed. But he remembered those dreams and it kind of converted a scientist to becoming more of a religious scientist. <laughs> so I'm interested in seeing those things because, you know. Yeah, that's, that, 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 that sounds, sounds interesting. Well, the guy sounds like he could do some hypnosis books. Yes. I would, I would, I would recommend listening to it on one and a half times speed. But <laughs> Yes, definitely. This is one of those where the, the Audible app, where you can click on the little sleeping uh, clock icon. Set it to 20 minutes, folks. <laughs> I wouldn't go the full half hour because then you have to figure out where you were. Set it to 15 minutes. <laughs> You'll get it. <laughs> You know what? We're going to be right back. We're going to play a, a trailer for the Fantastic Cast podcast. Professor Allen is one of the aficionados of that particular podcast. And we yes, will return yeah. with some book news. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon, the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You athletes can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four is no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak, blind or hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey is ended. I think shall sustain to the living drain of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. ffcast.libsyn.com Hi, this is Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett from the first Star Wars trilogy. Come and read my book. Go online. JeremyBullock.com and you can see all about my book Flying Solo. You've been listening to the Book Guys. And we're back from the break with uh, Sir Jimmy here. Another jingle for you. Father Robert. Welcome back, Padre. We thought we you weren't going to join us all the way from Vegas. Apparently you're not. <laughs> no, I'm I'm here in Vegas, you know, just uh, it's all hookers and blow, you know. <laughs> we lost the father just as we did the oh, great. <laughs> I'll fill in for him. I got some good stories from Vegas. Your accents are almost what? identical. Hey, there he is. <laughs> you need to be quiet, dogs. Out, damn you, out. Out of hell. 
<laughs> How you doing, Padre? Okay, I'm good. Very good, Padre. You missed it. We, you know, we thought you weren't going to join us all the way from Vegas because, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas and you probably didn't want to do the show, but or couldn't do the show because you're busy. But here you are. No, it was just a, it was a challenge to get bandwidth. Bandwidth in Vegas is not easy to come by. Everything else is. Just a little tip there for you, Padre. <laughs> hey, now. Hey, now. It's almost as if they prefer that you stay gambling in the casinos. But right. <laughs> so, Padre, yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm going to thank you personally for Ready Player One. Really enjoyed that. We're talking about the whole 80s things and uh, brought me back memories of uh, Japanese Spider-Man and his <laughs> Leopardon robot. That, that actually was probably one of my favorite parts of that book when it brought out the whole, oh, yeah, Japan always got the cool toys before we did, and then they, right. we got the dumbed-down <laughs> version. Yes. Our Spider-Man never had a giant robot. <laughs> That's right. And you know what? I, I think I think we can say now, now that we're past our childhood, that I think it's better that way. Yes. <laughs> In Japan, it's actually the giant robot had a little Spider-Man. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Spider-Man could never finish the, the story. It was always giant robot solution. Much like Voltron, the Power Rangers. <laughs> Ultraman. Ultraman. <laughs> Ultraman. Ultraman was awesome. He kicked the I'm snot out of Godzilla. Sure that, I'm not sure that J. Jonah James approved of, uh, would have approved of a giant robot. No, he, oh, he would have blown a gasket. That's probably why you know they, they couldn't do Peter Parker in the Japanese Spider-Man because... J. Jonah would have definitely blown a gasket had a conniption. A couple of heart attacks. <laughs> Which actually might have made for some good ink. I'm just, just going to put that out there. It, it might have. <laughs> you know, if, if, J, if J.J. had had a heart attack because of the way that he smoked and ate red meat, maybe the country wouldn't be as obese as, as it is right now. It's quite possible. <laughs> so, Padre, we're going to get into some uh, book news. If you'll join us. I will get. I am going to give you a warning here. I'm getting funny hand signals from uh, one of the people who's actually monitoring the bandwidth at this place that I'm in, and uh, he's not happy. He's saying there's he's seeing errors down the line, but uh, hopefully it'll hold out. <laughs> All right, we'll see if it'll hold, Captain. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on the bandwidth, Captain. Book news. Padre, I'm not sure if you have been reading uh, Pope Benedict, his uh, Jesus of Na- Nazareth trilogy. It's required reading. So the, the third uh, book in the, in the volume has come out? Yeah, you know, I didn't find it as good as the first or second books. I, I wanted more car chases, maybe, uh, you know, a lot of <laughs> We've brought you on to debunk it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found out about, I didn't even know about the series, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm interested now in reading it, but uh, through a, a douchebag Gizmodo article, where they're basically ridiculing the entire religion and the whole thing, but... Through it, I found some tidbits of information where, uh, for example, the fact that in the book, uh, the Star of Bethlehem, he claims was a supernova. So uh, most more likely the, the same one that German astronomer Johannes Kepler said happened around 7 to 6 BC. And according to Pope Benedict, that's when the baby Jesus came to this mortal world. Uh, further notes in, in this uh, book... The birth of Jesus is a, is a historic reality, of course. <laughs> you know, you, you wouldn't want the Pope coming out with you know, a book that said it wasn't historical reality. Back. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that that star of, uh, of Bethlehem being a supernova idea came from a Twilight. No, from an Outer Limits episode. <laughs> there you go, quite possibly. <laughs> and actually, in that Outer Episodes Limit, the priest who finds out that the, the uh, star of Bethlehem destroyed an entire civilization was a Jesuit, a member of my religious order. So, hey, it's full circle. We like this. Quite possibly uh, Father Robert in some kind of time travel episode. Uh, you know, I, I've always wanted to build a TARDIS. Uh, I'm sorry, grow Oops. a TARDIS, because we now know that TARDISes are grown. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Other facts in the book, Padre. Jesus probably wasn't born in Bethlehem. It was perhaps in Nazareth. Now, you have to remember, folks, the, the, the Vatican has a vast quantity of money, scientists historians at their disposal so when the pope himself you know brings out facts like this they're not based on a whim they're based on historians and you know researches researchers and scientists uh, including facts like there was no ox or donkey in that place that's just dumb says the pope now that's you know, science the, the, the church does have a vast army of scientists and philosophers and uh, engineers chained up in their basement 
uh, I don't I don't think they consult us very much. Actually, <laughs> he says the virgin was actually a virgin. He says not dumb. Uh, he also further on says in the book that astrology is stupid. He says it's the baby who guides the star, not the other way around. But you know, from this whole, I'm not going to read the intonation or the, the the actual text in this article. It's kind of a douchebaggy article. They still put their Amazon buy link on it so they can get the affiliate you know credit if you click on their link. But uh, they're really snide remarks and the whole thing. Uh, obviously, a militant atheist wrote this article. But thank you, militant atheist. <laughs> I'm interested in reading the book now. The whole series, actually. It is uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the, Infinis- Sorry, the Infancy Narratives by Pope Benedict. Um, $12 on Amazon. Check it out. You know, well, I, I want to I break out some knowledge here just real quick. Uh, because we've known for a long time that the, the answer that we should be using anytime someone tries to either prove or disprove to, to give the logical conclusion to or debunk any of the... The Jesus mythology, the, the actually the Jesus fact for us, and and that is anytime you've got um, one party ar- arguing either s- strongly for or against, the, the one perfect true thing that you you need to say is, well, okay, this, let me give you the answer. The answer. Is- oh. oh, ladies and gentlemen, the CIA. The CIA does not want the truth coming out. <laughs> About that is Jesus. that is Dan Brown cutting in right there. <laughs> Next week on the Book Guy shows the answers to life and everything. Well, we're done, folks. That said, the CIA has interrupted Father Robert. No, I'm just kidding. He was oh. going to say 42. <laughs> we'll wait for Father Robert to return, then we'll resume the recording. <laughs> Hi, this is Colin Ferguson. I play Sheriff Jack Carter on Eureka, and you're listening to the Book Guys. So, Padre, you're back. Actually, the, <laughs> I am back, kind of. I'm, I'm on uh, Las Vegas Cellular, which is... So, Cellular in Vegas is not great. It, again, it's almost as if they want to keep you inside the casinos. We, 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 yeah, we, we mentioned that. Padre, you know what? It was just funny because uh, right when you said, I'm going to tell you the truth about Bing. <laughs> I, I think uh, that's a sign from above that uh, maybe I shouldn't be discussing our inmost secrets. Yes. But we're looking for. I'm looking forward to reading the the series by Pope Benedict. Um, really looks interesting from the Pope. Say, I'm, I'm just a poor Protestant layman here, but uh, I, I I enjoyed the the first two uh, books by the Pope. <laughs> nice. Looking forward to reading number three. Are they available on audio as well? Hmm. I do not recall how I consumed the first two. Because if, if the Vatican, I had hardbound copies. Now, something you have to remember about Pope Benedict's books is he is actually a very heavy theological writer. Uh, most of his his um, writings are they're impossible for lay people to to understand. In fact, they're impossible for some for some clergy and priests to understand because it is so deep. Okay. So the books were really intended as a way to sort of okay, let's take theology and make it understandable. And, and as a result. Some of it sounds really pandering. Some of it sounds really condescending. It wasn't designed to be that way. It's just, how do you take something that has a, a millennia of theology behind it and turn it into something that's readily understandable? So, yeah, you know, if, if you're going to read it, you've got to read it with that lens. Is it accessible for someone like me, Padre, who's not a priest? Uh, it is, but see, someone like you who's not, who's not a priest or, or, you know, not a Catholic... You would be reading it as more of a, it's an informational, it's a documentary, rather than a, a book of faith. Okay. Uh, I, I wouldn't uh, say I'm not a Catholic, uh, Padre. I'd say I started as a Catholic and I've expanded my horizons, but uh, all the teachings that I learned as, as a youth are still ingrained in my soul, in my uh, day-to-day life. I just, uh, I've uh, expanded things a bit. Well, let's put it that way. We're, we're, we're really good at that. Yeah, we kind of brand the soul with the teaching, so uh, <laughs> they're not going anywhere. Don't worry about that. All right, yeah, I'm stuck. <laughs> I'll tell you, Paul, as, a, cause as, a, as an evangelical uh, interested in theology, I found them, you know, I mean, they were, they were serious, but, you know, but uh, and, and I, I, I think an educated layman 
could handle them. So have any of you read uh, The Universe in a Single Atom by the... I was going to say the Buddha. <laughs> by the Dalai Lama. As read by Richard Gere. I started, Gere. I did not finish. It's, uh, it, it almost reminds me of this book here where the Pope is bringing in current science technology to uh, a topic and a religion that is not well known for being associated with science technology. Uh, same thing with that book, Universal Single Adam. We talk about where the, the Dalai Lama, uh, at a young age, uh, learned how to fix you know, a car engine and got more interested in science and quantum physics and how it related to you know, the, the Buddhism and his, and his teachings and his uh, religion, it kind of reminds me of uh, what I'm seeing from this book, where the Pope brings in. This is not you know, it's not a magical star. This is not fantasy. This is more science, where the star was a supernova. He's not saying that the supernova just happened by random chance. He's saying that, well, you know, the good Lord created a supernova. The good Lord only creates things that are possible in our universe in impossible ways. I may be off here. Yeah, see, the, this, is, <laughs> this is one of the things that um, I, I actually had it out with Adam Curry after the tweet that we were on because, uh, you know, he calls himself a crackpot and he, he subscribes to many conspiracy theories. And after the show, he started uh, tweeting at me. He's like, oh, well, you know, you want to make fun of my theories, but what about the theories that you hold? He goes, oh, I, don't you believe that the Earth was created in, in seven days? And, I, you know, I tweeted back and said, actually, no, I don't. Well, don't you believe in creationism? No, no, I don't. Do you believe in the theory of evolution? Yes, yes, I do. And we went down the list of, you know, things that he had presupposed that a person of faith would believe. Right. And I said, well, you know, of course, those, those are things that people think about Catholics, and that's what they think about people of faith, but you've got to actually ask. Uh, yeah. You know, that when, you, when you talk about a person of faith, when you talk about a person who believes in, in God, you don't necessarily know everything about them just because put a label on them. Well, and I think that's, that's, in a large part, that's what these books are trying to do. They're trying to sort of bust through a lot of the preconceived notions we have about people who might believe. You, you know, Padre, it's kind, of, it's kind of back and forth, too, because you see, the same thing they're trying to do now to religion, which is disprove it by making it sound crackpotty, is the same thing they do for someone who believes that, you know, the Bush and Clinton families have too much power in the United States, and they take that power unfairly, They'll call you a crackpot or a conspiracy theorist and think that, well, you must believe in lizard men and, you know, all this crazy stuff, because that's what I hear on the news, where now, you know, uh, news organizations like uh, Gizmodo is making this article that is uh, basically laughing at any type of Christianity. Uh, and it's becoming part of the zeitgeist. It's kind, it's kind of, they're trying to portray in the media that anyone who's religious, well, you're needed because of this. This is why you're an idiot. And they're associating believing in God with, you know, believing in a bunch of silly things. That they, anything they can pull out of the Bible and, you know, twist it, they'll say, well, that's what you're doing. And the same thing and vice versa. Where we're talking about conspiracy theories. If I think this, then, oh, then you must believe in aliens are, you know, Obama's a snake from another planet. You know, it's just defamation. I, it's wrong. They actually they use that one against the Jesuits. They call they they think that the Jesuit general is a snake. But no, you're right. And I think what it comes down to, and again, that's what I'm hoping that these kind of books, either from the Dalai Lama or from the Pope, might spark. And that is, you know, what if we could stop laughing at each other for long enough, and if we could stop calling each other trolls long enough, right. maybe we can actually expand our understanding of the world a little bit. Uh, because you know what, science doesn't have it all. Faith doesn't have it all. Uh, it, 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 unless you've got a happy medium, you're really just cutting yourself out to the, yeah. the understanding how little you know about the universe. Yeah, open open your mind. Like uh, reading Universe in a Single Atom, there's points where the Dalai Lama is, uh, he goes into this high-end concepts about quantum physics, and then he'll sit there and say, well, this was discovered in like 1998 by quantum physicists, but it's a concept that, you know, like Dharma Gurti in 1800s or 1700s was exploring through Buddhism and a lot of our high-end scientific concepts were being explored more on a religious tip, we'll call it, 
you know, hundreds of years ago by Christian, you know, scientists, Christian philosophers. And you have to open your mind. That's why books are there. Telepathy from the past. <laughs> so I think all what you're saying are, if I understand you correctly, books are good. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and they smell great. Okay. <laughs> hey, we, I, I, I think we have a show title. Books are good and they smell great. <laughs> books are good. <laughs> Writing it down now. <laughs> That's right. God is great. So are books. Uh, moving on, Padre, we might as well, because we can talk religion all day long, I think, and we're well into overtime at this point. Uh, I'm going to keep going with... Book News. Just because we can. Padre, are you familiar with the Terry Pratchett series of uh, Discworld? Uh, I am. I, I got into it very early on, uh, but then I was sort of tempted away by the more pulp fiction-y type sci-fi. Okay, well, uh, just a, you know, maybe a couple days ago, Terry Pratchett, in an interview with uh, New Statesman magazine, said his daughter Rihanna will be taking over the Discworld series when he's gone. So he's been in talks with his child, with uh, Rihanna, and uh, she's more than willing to you know, take over her father's craft and continue Discworld after he's gone, much like Lucas has bequeathed Star Wars to the Disney Corporation. <laughs> But less, you know. How, how do you feel about that? I mean, because it reminds me of when the younger Herbert took over for Frank Herbert and the Dune books. I, there, there's something fundamentally wrong, at least in, in my mind, when you have a universe that's created in the mind of an author and then it's passed off to somebody else. I mean, even if they're a relative, even if they love the books, even if they're fully involved in the series, it's no longer that same universe. It's a different slant on the universe. To, to be but fair, Terry Pratchett has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2007, so maybe his, you know, decision is a little bit clouded. Yeah, we've seen this in a couple of cases, and and this is, in 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 some ways, not not dissimilar to, you know, authors who have just become trademarks and farm out their books, you know, the bestsellers, you know, authors who farm out. Dave Patterson, Dave Patterson, that would be one. And and others, um, you know, whether sort of in, in, Stephen King. I hear Stephen King writes every book that comes out. Every word. Yeah, I mean, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm not saying every author does this. I'm saying there are some best-selling authors who do this, and I and the the books sell. So there's a you know there's a part of me that says, you know, it can work. But you know, I I do go back to the Dune example as as Exhibit A, and yes. it, it may be not working quite as well. Absolutely, but you know what? You know what? I was only mostly kidding. You know, uh, you know, you know, Mr. Pratch is not in very good health. But you know what? If your daughter is into the series and you've spent obviously more time with your daughter than any other human being on Earth, uh, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's better than Lucas bequeathing you know the Star Wars franchise to you know a faceless corporation. Uh, I think this could be a good thing where someone who has a vested interest in her father's legacy and world. Takes it over and continues. Uh, Paul, make yeah, I think, I think you got to you got to give her the benefit of the doubt. You got to see what she writes. That's right. You got to see what she comes up with, and just just let it go from there. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, like like Douglas Adams had another book come out uh, in the five part trilogy. I think it was the sixth part of the, of the trilogy, and it wasn't written by him. And you know, it was a decent outing, we'll say. But definitely was not Douglas Adams. If it had been like Douglas Adams' daughter, someone you know closer to him, might have been uh, made more sense uh, as far as the and whole. Then, and and of course, I say you know I I I just said what I just said. But then again, I love some of the modern um, uh, takes of the ex- expansions, especially Laurie R. King, you know, writing further uh, adventures in the Sherlock Holmes. A series or Mary Russell series. I love those books, so you know I can be a hypocrite too. <laughs> I hear you. Well, I got to say one. <laughs> By the way, I love the fact that you brought up Douglas Adams because earlier I was going to say that the answer to life, the universe, and everything is forty-two. Oh, I'm surprised that you didn't get cut off now by the internet because he did give another answer. <laughs> See, I'm coming in the back. I'm coming through a phone line, so the internet can 
can go suck it for a while. <laughs> and there's the show title. <laughs> the internet can go suck it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Terry Pratchett taking, uh, giving it to Rihanna. I think yeah, we'll see. You know what? The first book, we'll know. You've got to give her a fair shake. That is true. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Professor Allen, you've got to check out the PS, folks at home, the Doctor Who. The PS for Series 7 is up at the BBC. I will put a show uh, note in the, um, the show notes. But uh, it's, it's like a couple, like maybe six or seven minutes. They didn't film, but they wanted to film. And they, they present the storyboards. And Arthur Davil, the guy who plays Rory Williams, uh, narrates it. And after you see it, you think, oh, man, they really should have had that. Right after the, you know, the Angel uh, story where you know, Rory and one of our favorite companions ever, Emilia spoilers, Pond. Spoilers. Leaves. Spoilers. Spoilers. Uh, sorry, Padre. I know you wait till the, for Netflix. Uh, nope. No, but that's okay. no, no, I told you, I, I, I know, actually, I read it on Wikipedia, so I know how it ends. I, it's not going to spoil it for me. But no, I read that P.S. Was that not the most emotional Doctor Who you have you have ever seen written? Absolutely. I mean, and yeah, and I, it's I, sad that they wish they had filmed it. I wish they had filmed it. Exactly. They should have filmed that into the series. I don't know why they didn't. Uh, Padre, I'm trying to get us copy, events copies of Mady Malone's book uh, the from The Angels Take Manhattan. I forget the name of the book. But they are publishing much like the, uh, oh, what's the series, uh, the TV Castle. series, Castle. Castle. They're they're doing it as a, a fictional author, Melody Malone. They're going to put out that actual book that was in that uh, last uh, episode with the Williams, and uh, it's it's going to be an audio format as well. And it's not brilliant. It's there's a different company doing it, and I'm trying to get us advanced copies because I would love to see that. I would love to see. Uh, the nice lady who plays uh, River Song on the show. If you're listening, lady. If she's reading it, Alex, King- Alex Kingston. Alex reading Kingston. It, that's the one. Give us a call. Pretty lady. Just saying. But check it out, folks. I will put a link in the show notes. Doctor Who PS. And there's also now previews for the Christmas special out. There's a preamble thing and an official trailer out as well. Good times. Padre, Professor Allen, Sir Jimmy, if you're still with us, how you doing? Just here, yes, waiting. The internet's not cooperating with us tonight, so we'll call it a night. Thank you for joining us, belatedly, Padre. Sir Jimmy, no, Professor no, no, Allen. Thank you for uh, holding a spot for me. Hey, there's always a spot for you, my friend. This Good is the Book Guys Show. Good night, everyone. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Who's our special guest, Professor Allen? Rob Kelly. Rob Kelly will be joining us next week. It'll be a lot of fun. And this is the point where we say, take it away, Scott Brick. Bye, everybody. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Paul the Book Guy will be back next week. Same book time, same book channel.